You're listening to the AFL Unlimited podcast, where we tackle all the hot topics in the AFL and bring you up to speed with everything you need to know in the football landscape. We'll take a look at this weekend's games and have some mixed discussion about what to expect. Let's head up to the box for the opening bounce. They say absence makes the heart grow fonder, and boy, are we fond of finals. We waited a bit longer this year to get here, and it was worth it. Week one of the final series will go down as one of the greatest in recent memory. The Cats got jumped early and couldn't buy a goal to save themselves, whilst a tough port outfit dominated the middle and showed their worth. The Lions overcame their goal-kicking hoodoo and slayed the Richmond Beast, but it's not over for the reigning premiers just yet as the cavalry is set to arrive. The Saints painstakingly made their fans wait to the last second to give them some long-awaited finals relief, whilst the Dogs left their bite too late to make an impact on 2020. And what can we say about the Pies, who were dirty and just making up the numbers and then shocked the Eagles out of the year in one of the games of the century? Now, onward to part two. How are we going, fellas? Very well, Pretty mate. Good, How are you? Mate. What, well, what you. a weekend of footy we just had. There was uh, some not great results for us, but overall, the, the closest final series for 26 years in some absolutely ripping games. Yeah, it was probably one of the, the greatest opening rounds I've seen in years. Was it the closest since um, sort of Billy kicked that one after Siren? That's, that's and is, is that sort of the one? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I still hate the buy for what it's worth, but no, it was, was yep. a great final play. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tyson? <laughs> well, the margins say it all, mate. The numbers don't lie. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't see stacks of finals, but obviously... <laughs> what did you well, have on, mate? You're well, busy. Uh, no, a few bits and pieces <laughs> on. But, um, here and there, but, but, yeah, well documented. That, uh, yeah, it was quite, um, quite fever pitch and plenty of close results, which was uh, exciting. Well, the Thursday night game, from a neutral perspective, would have been oh, a good God. game to watch. And each, each game from that point on seemed to get better and better. So we'll get into the reviews of them, but there's a few bits of news floating around. Chucky D. Yeah. He's going to keep that nickname, aren't we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he hates it. He hates it. Oh, he didn't mind it, Most of the news was related to the games, of course. Um, the biggest news, I'd probably say, for the Saints, some bad news. Paddy Ryder in those like last 90 seconds or so of the game, really, just with the hammy, he's out for the rest of the year. His first ever finals win, extremely disappointing. And then just some... Recent news is obviously Jake Carlisle, who has been really important down back with the big decision to to go home. He's, you know, his partner is expecting a, a baby and obviously family comes first. What do you guys think? Is that the Saints would be bloody feeling terrible at the moment, wouldn't they? A lot of the Saints yeah. fans. I mean, he's already had two kids, hasn't he? Like, shouldn't he be playing footy? No, obviously I'm <laughs> kidding, but... Uh... <laughs> I think uh, I was shattering to see Ryder just... The Saints are up and about. They've just won and then boom, straight on Ryder in tears at the bench. That was yeah, brutal. twisting the emotions, wasn't it? And unfortunate yes. that all these things are happening. Tears right before Richmond and we're giving the reigning Premier pretty much a free shot to uh, get into another prelim. But, you know, I think the Saints would be of that mindset that there's 22 on the field and anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. A lot less pressure on the uh, on the Saints, but obviously, yeah, that'll it'll be interesting because yeah, they don't. I feel like Richmond have more to lose, but obviously, both have a final, you know, a prelim final uh, berth to lose. So, um, but in terms of Richmond, they will be expected to be in the prelim final. So, if that goes against that, that'll be uh, a crazy upset and a, an amazing um, 
yeah, upset and beautiful for the Saints. But Ryder, obviously, yeah, that, that's a massive out. Like the, the, yeah, the Marshall and uh, Ryder combination has been pretty lethal at times this year and they're going to have to uh, yeah, work their way around that. And uh, Jakey Carlisle is an interesting character uh, nonetheless. <laughs> I don't know if they could have uh, planned the timing a bit better. They put it a bit close to <laughs> September. But oh, come on, mate. They didn't know it was going to be in. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I don't think the Saints fine, are really but... expecting to make finals. And you'd have to say it's already a pass mark for them. And a finals win was just above board for what they thought they were going to get. And obviously, Carlisle out and long suspended now, Chucky D. And the Saints are going to challenge and potentially try and get long back. But... Uh, it's interesting that they're coming up against Richmond and, and Trent Cochin got not suspended for a very similar incident a couple of years ago. Mm, boys. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, back on Ryder, you did say, I do think Marshall is no second fiddle. And I think he probably He's can no slouch, handle the, yeah. the sole ruck duties if needed. You know, you, you bring Josh Battle in maybe and, and you have someone that can maybe tag, tap in for a bit more um, action. But I think you do lose that 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 option of having, you know, that dy- dynamicness of someone can go forward and they can take that mark, which is a bit upsetting. Um, ben Long, I think that's a fair suspension. He kind of just went straight in there and knocked a bloke's head off. I think it's it's a reasonably fair one. Um, on the news of, of suspensions and stuff, Tomahawk has escaped with a fine for hitting Tom Rockcliffe high. So... <laughs> Finally, he's got some leniency, I would say, in the final. But, uh, yeah, I it was don't even remember that at all. Yeah, neither do I. No. But you're right with uh, you're spot on with Marshall. I think he's equally the number one with Ryder. And yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you reckon Long's half a chance to get off because McRae played out the game? I mean, it was pretty vicious, sort of tone setting attack on the ball and the man. But I just tend to think sometimes when they play the game out, they're always half a chance to argue their way out of that one, particularly in a final, but we'll see. We've talked about it previously, but the the precedent seems to be they're not going to be suspending people if there's no injury. And McRae was fine, didn't even get concussion tested. But that's the one that we've spoken about that probably needs to get a week to deter the action. And it is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was any malice from Long to actually obviously knock McRae out or hurt him. But Long's a tough player, and they're in a cutthroat final, so he was just going. He doesn't mind line and blow, no, does he? I, look, I don't, uh, I don't mind that in a final. In, in his sort mm. of his career itself, he sort of transitioned from this like small defender that was barely getting a game to this hard running and hard tough defender. So, yeah, interesting, Tiz. Don't know what your thoughts are, thoughts out there. Your thoughts, okay. <laughs> your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, uh, something else. <laughs> as far as the as far as the tomahawk one goes. I, I don't even recall what even happened there. So yeah. um, I think I would have, rem- if it was something <laughs> decent to worry about, I would have probably remembered it. But yeah. I just get hit by games. people all over the shop, but that's fine. So yeah, I might have to see replay. I heard no talk about it for the whole weekend and mm. uh, apparently a fine out of it. But yeah, not not shocking, I guess, for Tom to do that. Uh, long, yeah. I'd, look, I have to see probably the replay in slow mo, and, and I have seen it sort of like live. And yeah, it does. Slightly malicious, but I'd like to think if um, you you mentioned the Cochin case, gosh, I think Shield was out for the rest of the game and he yeah, didn't get anything. So, uh, which is pretty bizarre. Mm. So, if you want to use that as any kind of precedent, so I think Long should easily be able to play this week. Uh, again, you don't want 
It depends if he like clear cut got him high. I feel like he got him sort of very high on the shoulder area. There was some shoulder action too, yes. Yeah, but I don't know if it's not like he bumped him straight in the head. So if it was that, then it'd be clear cut. He'd probably miss a week, but it's going to be tricky. And the AFL needs to sort that out for next year anyway, moving forward, because it's too controversial in a final to give him, give a player like that a week. If it was yeah. a superstar, it'd just be a fine and thrown yeah. out. Whoa, superstar rules. Yeah. Oh, Dizio. Oh, we've discussed this before. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Superstar. I yeah, agree That's what I think. Well, we're looking towards next week kind of at the moment, but we probably should be looking back at the weekend we just had, which was a bloody great game. No pictures for this. I'm pretty sure we're going to get into enough depth that you don't need a couple little three words. We are, we are going all out, baby, and tears you kicking us off. <laughs> Yeah, well, Thursday night was where all the action was at to start us off. Port Adelaide had Geelong and was Port by 16. This was the third time Port Adelaide had beaten the Cats since 2007, round 21. Um, so it's been a very long... Well, yeah, it's been a long time since I've sort of... You know, if you win one, uh, I think it might have been last year. I'm pretty sure it was after the bye. And then the time before that was 2014. So, you know, different Cats teams there. I want to highlight a few cats here uh, up forward. So we got Hawkins, Rowan, Myers, and Ablett. If you were a neutral fan watching on, how many goals do you think they kicked? You would have thought at least a few in there. You would have yeah. expected at least a few. I can, I can tell you the answer right now. Sorry, Chuck. I'd say you'd think five just for Hawkins. <laughs> you would. But the answer here is a resounding zero. Uh, I don't think you're going to win too many finals when four of your top forwards don't kick a goal. Um, amazing that it was only 16 points in the end. What really hurt Geelong was Motlop kicking three against his old <laughs> side and he's barely played all this year. That, that was crazy. But, I mean, about the game and why Port won, it was their pressure. Uh, it was quite incredible. And their stoppage work was match winning. That They were able to find space and outnumber situations quite regularly. So often you just saw, like, Port always have that support, um, that player to sort of go to at the side. So yeah. they spread really well. They had field position and their their defensive wall was just um, yeah impossible to get past at times. So so many times you saw like Rockliffe handballing to Wines and then Wines back to Rockliffe. You'd give it to Boke and then yeah. kick it inside fifty. And you're screaming at the TV. Why is there like an extra six players of port like on yes. the ground? You know you're in trouble when there's like six extra players for the other team. Oh well, yeah, it's uh, a work rate thing and yeah. Port worked a lot harder. So as you as you said, Lang spot on. Thanks, and mate. this was ultimately across the game. Port took their chance in front of goal and Geelong couldn't make the most of their chances when they had their moments. And we know finals are all about big moments and Geelong didn't take theirs. Uh, you saw Hawkins, obviously, guys, uh, after he missed two or three, he decides to just curl around the left, which was once he missed that, you were like, this is just about game over yeah. the shot of confidence. Uh, Geelong, Geelong players were off from their usual output and it showed while the young and upcoming port side were up for the challenge at home. You could just see like guys like Menegola and Guthrie and... Cole Jasney and O'Connor, all these other guys, Henry as well, that just were just a five, ten, well, probably 10, 15% down from their normal output. And it really showed like you need those players firing to you to be a chance. Geelong couldn't handle the finals heat again. 2011, obviously the Cats won the flag under Chris Scott. And since then we've played 16 finals and won four of them. So it's a, it's a real problem. And we're one in seven from first weeks in finals. So uh, yeah, there's plenty to, uh, Plenty to digest out of all that, um, gentlemen. And we, we've also got um, Chris Scott brought up a point too, uh, Shorty, about um, yes, some umpiring had a, had a bit to talk about there. Yeah, we'll touch on the bounce probably um, maybe after we 
sort of dissect the game. But uh, what did you boys sort of make of it? I mean, nicely summed up there, Tiz. Certainly as Cats supporters, that was just, I guess it was Groundhog Day, wasn't it? Yeah. If we were to put a, a pitch in, I would have just said deja vu Cats because it was the exact same thing as what we were expecting. And that's that's what I said last week. Our finals record just hasn't stacked up. And unfortunately, exactly what all of our worst nightmares were uh, came true. You know, Motlop running into an open goal against poor old Harry Taylor that looks like a horse that needs to be put down. And oh. things happening that, uh, you know, Henry getting tackled in the middle of the ground, Hawkins missing goals, free kicks, turnovers, all that sort of stuff. But absolutely credit to Port, who who were fantastic. They were the toughest team all night. And, you know, in, in hindsight, it probably didn't look like they, they wavered at any point during the game. And that some of their kids, like you mentioned it before, Tiz, um, in your review, it was, you know, Butters and Dersma was good at stages before he got knocked out flat. And, um, you know, mm. Rosie kicked a goal, but wasn't amazing, but he did some good things. And, you know, Gray and Boak were just absolutely dominant out of the out of the midfield along with Wines. And, you know, when Peter Laddams is kicking goals <laughs> on the run and from their 50, it's, it's insane. Yeah, so they, they absolutely um, deserved that game. And, you know, you can say the catch... Cats could have been more accurate and could have been a different story then, but Port absolutely deserved it. And, um, yeah, we're the better team for the whole game, Chuck. Yeah. You touched on Tomahawk, and I think it's always been a thing in his career. He is definitely a confidence player and always has been. He needs to get that first one slotted through and he's, he's, he's gold for the rest of the game. Two tricky shots from the boundary, let's be honest, but... They kind of are the ones that you typically go, oh, Hawk could probably kick this. Like, he's got yeah. that classic left, uh, right to left kicking style that always seems to go through. I think he's one of the most accurate shots from those exact spots. But um, it just didn't go his way the first few kicks. And, and from there, his confidence was shot. He's, he's got a crowd for once, you know, screaming out and yelling mm. at him. You can see the guy, old mates in the background with half his teeth missing. <laughs> just who knows what he was calling out, but... <laughs> it didn't work for Hawk, and then obviously, you know, he he, he lost his confidence. He went for the left foot snap. Mm. That was just his would have gone to the roof at that point. <laughs> it's <was> awful. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for the Cats was missed opportunities from poor decisions yeah. at very late. Was it end of the first quarter? Brandon Parf gets. Is it yeah. Brandon Parf at the mark? End of the yeah. first quarter. Oh, and then Ablett to Ablett. Tries to handball it to Gary Ablett for no reason. Ablett's got people right on him, yeah. and Ablett gets into this awkward snap. Parf it. Back yourself. Take a set shot, mate. You could have either gotten a point or a goal. Wouldn't have mattered. And then Duncan on the fifty. Duncan could kick twice yeah, that distance. Goes for the pass there. He hit Hawkins up on the tip. But, on the tip. But it bloody, it, you know, sign already sounded, mate. You missed out. Where's the people screaming out to him? Surely they know how much And you contrast there. that with Ebert slipping over on half time and yeah. still catching it. He goes back and slots it. And like Tiz, you said in your review on YouTube, mate, you put about 600 houses on Ebert's goal going through because he just looked cool, calm and collected. So... Yeah, yeah, spot on. He, he did the job there very nicely. And um, the, the thing that was most concerning was we were playing really well and we're on top. But Port were in front at half time, and I knew Port were only in second gear. So that, to me, the game was almost... I could mm. see the, the pages before I read the book. So, um, and <laughs> yeah, so, so it all panned out in the second half. What do you think, Shorty? Oh, yeah, like you said, Tiz, in finals, it's often coming down to moments, isn't it? 
and it probably we didn't take our moments against two quality sides meeting one another. You can't expect to just dominate a game and not make the most of your momentum and then expect to keep going. I mean, at some stage, another good side's going to swing the momentum in their favour and have their turn with it and, and Port did what they did. So I think it was probably best summed up in the manner that we converted. And, and I know it's not always about conversion, you know, that's what it comes down to. But these were chances that you could tell it was weighing on them. Um, mm. The pressure mounted. Not only the pressure on the night, but the external pressure leading in. You felt like there was already pressure on them to deliver in the final. And once they started to miss, and mm. and not even in front of goal, but just decisions around the ground. And, and probably in contrast, a young man, Toddy Marshall, just... You know, he's he's a good player. Good probably player. be a great player one day, but he's nothing special at the moment. But he just mm. took went back and said, Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. slot this and I'm gonna bury you. So 50, yeah. and yep. there were numerous occasions which we'll discuss over the course of the weekend where players did just take the moment. The moments yep. are bigger and they're more important and that's why we talk about moments for years because that's what they are. That's what makes a difference yeah. in a relatively tight game. So it it could have been tighter as well, depending like a couple of those references you said. And while you're talking about moments, sorry, it is. Um, I was going to say, while you're talking about moments, momentum is a massive thing. You think mm. Selwood with that amazing captain's goal, what happens up straight after he kicks that? Straight yeah. down the end. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. In, in danger. He does that massive run and bounce, gets that goal to bring us, you know, and straight after that, Straight down for Port to kick another bloody goal again just after that as well, I'm pretty sure. There yeah. were so many chances where momentum could have gotten people really excited, but I think the second the Cats did it, they were going, all right, cool, we're back in this now. Mm. And they instead yeah. of embracing it and going harder, they went, all right, cool, now we can be calm. And, and what? Whoops, <laughs> goal's already kicked. I think if um, Kola Jajny had managed to kick uh, his goal... I, I was going to bring that up. That Like... You could have almost put the turning point on that game down to that kick. If mm. he kicks that, the cats are up and about. I think we all felt that as well. But another thing as well, Tiz is probably worst nightmare is, you know, playing players out of position. And, you know, we'll, I think we got back to within four four or ten points in the Seven. last quarter. And yeah. they put Dalhouse and Atkins in the middle. And it was one of the most ridiculous the things I've That's ever seen. Insane. I couldn't believe They've it. They've never played pathetic. there all year. And they put yeah. Atkins has played midfield in the VFL and, and can play well in the midfield. But when he's your first mid and Dalhouse is your second mid and then Mitch Duncan, who's no big body, and then you've got Rockliffe and Wines, who's like Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger compared <laughs> <laughs> those guys. It's, it's insane. And we, they kicked the next two goals. And that was pretty much the game right then and there. So... I don't mind Atkins being in there, but yeah. you've got to have it alongside a Dangerfield or a Salwood or, and you know, likewise with Duncan. Literally anyone else. Dalhouse, just get back in the 50. If it was up to me, I'd, I'd be having him straight out of the team, to be honest, but that's Is another story. Think, what was the context of that again? Like, had that just, if it's a centre bounce, so obviously had Geelong just kicked a goal or... Or something like that. I we believe we did. Yeah. We got back to seven, I suppose, and yeah. that sort of was the, the mould. And I think they kicked a goal like out of that stoppage. So, if you think but, potentially yeah. danger could have been, you know, obviously cooked or something, I guess it depends on who you've got available and and what you're thinking. Really, yeah. you, you throw danger in there, don't you? Because the game's on the line and you can still win. So you'd like to think you put your best ball winners in there. Um, and I suppose a, a final point on that one, I mean, at least from my point of view, the 
the amount of times we slipped over, the amount of times we fumbled, the amount of times we couldn't find a mark. It was yeah. that, that that sums it up as well. And I mean that that was a big reason why we could probably why it was hard to see us even winning the game because Port outplayed us for all night with with their play. They were, they didn't slip over. They they didn't fumble. They were they were clean. So yeah, that's and what the game comes down to. Yeah, you're right. I mean we naturally as Geelong fans, we're gonna you know probably uh, depict the disappointment from a cat's point of view, but. Port Adelaide were slick. They were very, very clean with the ball and, and and had the answers. I mean, they started pretty well after the first 10 minutes and we were basically on a knife edge for the whole time and it yeah. takes something special. And, and yeah, they had the answers, didn't they? So Absolutely. And just quickly before we wrap up, Chalk, unless you had another point there, um, we as part of the topic, probably we probably just wanted to touch on um, based off Razor Ray's efforts with the you know bouncing the ball two meters off center to the center square mm. and about three meters up as well, should the bounce be scrapped? What what are our thoughts there? Quickly, well, I'm I'm really big on this. I I think it's such a simple fix. I love the bounce. I think it's a massive part of our game, which makes it unique. And it's also from a fairness point of view because if we're throwing it up all day, then just it takes like away. <laughs> yeah, it takes away the uncertainty and and uh, the reactive abilities of certain ruckmen to react to that bounce. And you know, if, if you get it thrown up all day long, the the best ones and the gorns of the world are just going to dominate. So I just think either train it more or find out the ones who are good bouncers of the ball and just give them a hell of a lot more responsibility because you don't want a guy who's a good decision maker not getting in the finals lineup as an umpire because he's not a good bouncer of the ball. So if Ray can't bounce the ball consistently, then he's a good decision maker. So just don't bounce the ball, mate. You know? so, what, what was that, Cody? Did you just say Razor's a good decision maker? Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I do think he is. He annoyed me a couple of times on Thursday. There's no doubt about that. But, um, yes, general point being, there's got to be enough good bounces of the ball out there that we can still keep this great tradition of our game and, uh, and find the good decision makers to surround them, I would have thought. Yeah, like, I can... uh, what were you thinking? Like the having Atkins in and Dalhouse in, and you don't, you know, you don't have all these inexperienced uh, midfielders when it's seven points down, and you've got mm. ultimate, uh, you know, port midfielders in there like Godzilla. And, <laughs> Godzilla. And oh, Godzilla actually. <laughs> well, it's just actual Godzilla. That. He's just in the midfield. Yeah, like... <laughs> I think Ollie Wines will appreciate that. But yeah, I, I like the idea of the bounce. If they can't keep up the uh, consistency of getting it right often enough, then, well, then you might have to look into um, just throwing it up. But, yeah, I, I do like how they go through the motions with bouncing it. But if it's becoming more of a, a common trend of, like, not being able to execute it properly, then then we might have to look into throwing it up. Um, I, I don't feel passionately either way. But, um, yeah, obviously bouncing is, is ideal. Again, comes down to the skill and having enough, uh, I suppose, quality umpires to be able to bounce it. I suppose, in the manner that's uh, going to be you know, most fair and equal. And for what it's worth, I don't feel like it's a disaster if it isn't an even contest. I mean, the ball is an oval. It bounces whichever bloody hell way it wants throughout the match. And in tennis, we see, you know, the, it hit the net and it sometimes roll over. You know, it's, it's mm. a, just a bit of luck. I mean, I'm, 
we don't want, uh, what was it, uh, that shock and bounce Collingwood North ages ago and it clearly favoured it, you know. It's Goldie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got a goal out of it. They won the game. <laughs> then it's a real talking point when it is such an advantage. But, yeah, I don't think it's a disaster if it does skew off a bit. But I think it depends on the actual context of the situation. Obviously, in this game of Port and Geelong, they weren't bouncing it in the centre of the ground. So there's a, yeah, clear, yeah. a clear bias and ridiculousness there. In, mm. if, if you can't physically bounce it in the centre to create an impartial you know, uh, contest, then you do have to... I say you have to throw it up in the centre then. If mm. you literally can't do it anywhere else. Otherwise, yeah, you made a good point that obviously you know, the ball bounces randomly and, and there's got to be some sort of natural change. But if from the beginning you know it's already going to be bounced in someone else's favour then, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be scrapped. You've got to throw it up. You can't have... I'm not sure what he was thinking there. <laughs> that was one very strange. It's an extra, you know, metres run up and the other guy basically just has to stand still and, and jump straight up at the, at the mm. ball. I, I think it's crazy. And if you're going to do that, maybe let the guy take a couple steps back out of the circle then perhaps mm. or something. To it's, 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 a, it's a crazy thing. I think maybe just throw it up in context. If you find something's wrong, give umpires the freedom to make a decision or a choice. Or just do the opening bounce of the game and that's the significant moment that you bounce it for the start of the game and that's it and you just throw it up after that, I think, is, is my view on that. But um, You'd like just, to see that? Or yeah, I think that's still just like a nice little nod towards the history of the game, but... Stop ruining the game. Jeez, just throw it up. I know, it's very wow. controversial. I'm very... Very NBA normally. basketball but, style um, there. Oh. That's my thoughts on that. There was <laughs> another game, which was the... Speaking of bounces, the first bounce... another game? <laughs> the, the first bounce was ruined uh, and ruined the atmosphere <laughs> completely and they then had to throw it up. Uh, Brisbane versus yeah. Richmond short. You'll be taking this one away. was yeah, an absolute it, cracker. I did tip Brisbane and uh, they proved me correct. Well, uh, you and me both, Jake, but you. uh, you're right. It is a quite anticlimactic when that first bounce does go off, but there's a massive build-up um, to this one, like all finals, but particularly this one. I mean, we we spoke long and hard about this one in terms of the history these sides sort of had with finals and just the longevity of the Tigers' dominance over the Lions, and it was always going to have some pretty big ramifications. So the Tigers, they certainly were playing pretty good footy for the first quarter and a half, but I felt like both teams were just kicking super straight as well. It was it was pretty impressive. Um, like we were talking about with the initial game, um, we couldn't really convert, but both sides were kicking nice goals early, but probably started to set the tone halfway through the second, I feel, when the Tigers had been dominant. I think the stack came up on the uh, telecast. It was about 80% time in uh, forward half. For Richmond, and they were probably about a goal up, but you just sensed that they were really on top. And this was Richmond's brand; they were just owning it inside their half and setting up the wall. And Brisbane just couldn't clear. But eventually, they were able to turn the tides there and and, and got on top. And, and the moments were Rainer's goal. I mean, that was that was huge. That got the crowd going. He was about sixty out, I reckon. Definitely the moment Very of his good. career. So good. really stood up. Yeah, and he had a couple of good moments too. He's copped a bit of criticism at times, but. That was his moment, no doubt. And then some ill-discipline from the Tigers at stages. You know, they definitely gave away some frees and certainly had their fair bit to stay after the game on that. <laughs> but it was the 50-minute oh. penalties that killed them. And in particular, it was the double 50. I, I, I'm not sure when it got the second 50, but all of a sudden, 
Lockie Neal had it 50 out and you thought he can definitely kick this. And he Bolton certainly was just didn't. like wrestling and he kept like arguing. Mm. And then I think it was Lostin was like screaming in the umpire's face as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was just like, oh my God, just get the ball out of here. Get it away. Yeah. Bolton had some moments he'd rather forget yeah. with the umpires, but that was, that was huge because at the start of the game, Dusty was just dominant. He was on yeah. fire and Neil didn't touch the pill. Mm. So, but he responded like, the champion he is. He had about eight touches in the second quarter. And that goal just said to the side, look, we're on here. We can do this. Let's make them pay. And you just got that sense and the feel at the ground that they were up and about. But, uh, I mean, they've looked in control for a lot of the game. But the Tigers were always going to come and they did eventually. And, and I think Bolton's near goal is the one that Very good. we probably we'll discuss the most. I mean, I think that would have brought them within maybe six or seven points. I can't remember exactly. There was still six minutes to go. There was plenty of time. I think it, it got out to about 20 odd points. Barry missed one. McCluggage missed one. And you thought, Oh Jesus, not again. <laughs> Rewald kicks one. And all of a sudden they're coming, but it clips the post and, you know, Brisbane were able to just, just, I guess Hold reassess on. and refocus and take a deep breath. McCluggage kicks the sealer. McClug. Cameron was great. Andrews just was dominant. We mm. discussed it last week that he could have that impact without Lynch. And, um, you know, they certainly they certainly did that. So it was an enormous win, um, not without the odd scare or two, but I thought it was – I mean, we were talking about how good of a first week of finals and this was no exception. It was a great game. Absolutely. And now last week, Tiz, you um, divulged the knowledge to us of the blueprint. Very controversial in in some media circles, but I'm just going to go through quickly to all of you, mainly to Tyson, and um, go through dot point to dot point. And I want you guys to answer me yes or no if, if Brisbane did these things. So did they tag Dusty? No, and it didn't really matter, I don't think. (laughs) In the first quarter, Dusty, as you mentioned, short, was going absolutely bananas and it looked like... I was about to message Tears and say, mate, they're going to have to start following your blueprint. You need to start getting... You need to send this to <laughs> to um, Vague's email. Get him on the get him on the blower real quick. So what are your thoughts on that, Tears? Uh, well, Dusty obviously quite after quarter time. So I wonder if there was a bit more accountability on him. Um, Fagan did say he didn't see him doing enough damage for them to warrant a hard tag. But yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I I think Dusty did go out of it a little bit, but um, they definitely didn't hard tag him. And he did spend a bit of time forward uh, later in the game, which was, the age-old debate, where do you put him? But he probably got a bit cold there too. So, yeah. Speaking of tagging, last time they played, Grimes was all over Charlie Cameron and it was widely documented that Cameron played uh, a bit more free this game and just played his natural game. And Grimes had some impact but didn't seem to have as much as he did. But what were our thoughts on how they dealt with Grimes, who is the Richmond's number one uh, intercept player? I think they they were really able to um, sort of move around and swap players to a good effect. Like they had Cameron sort of played up the ground a little bit and, yeah, the Tigers' defence wasn't always able to get back. But, yeah, Grimes probably didn't have his usual impact. I'll, I'll mention numbers on intercept marks shortly in the next point. But, 
Yeah, he certainly probably didn't quite have the impact that he would like. And I suppose Tigers' defence was a bit unsettled with plenty of movement from um, different players. And on the when the ball hit the ground, which it did a fair bit, which is why it was so invaluable for them winning, uh, the Tigers' defence couldn't cope with it. Yeah, it was definitely the way Cameron played, um, which certainly unsettled Grimes and the defence to a large extent. You know, he, he was on the move. He was up the ground. He was doubling back and... He was influential. I forgot to mention Lyons as well. So he was Very definitely worth, underrated worth a note. He, he often doesn't get mentioned. So I thought, gee, I've, I've got to mention him here. He was great. Absolutely. Um, and what are our thoughts about general ball movement? Did they, did they have even numbers at the stoppage or did they allow Richmond to take marks inside their D, uh, D50 tiers? And you know Richmond are that good at moving the ball onwards really quick and scoring from their D50. I'll get the guys to help me with the stoppages. But what I did notice, uh, intercept marks-wise, they normally probably take about 15-plus a game, and they only took eight. So that's uh, that's a big part of their game, which those numbers to me tell me directly (laughs) that uh, the Lions were really good at being able to bring the ball to ground and like use the ball effectively going forward and not blazing away, kicking it long and high to Grimes and Bolter and Boston and these guys. So... Uh, definitely they didn't allow him that easy intercept mark. They were able to bring it to ground. You saw a number of goals from Crumming um, at the front. We saw um, Cameron do it to great effect. And I'm trying to think, uh, I know he's number 33. Bailey. 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 Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He kicked an amazing goal to put in 20 up. So um, I'll get your guys' thoughts on the stoppages. So if um, they did even numbers there and up the field. Well, it just felt like it wasn't a very Richmondy game. I feel like you watch Richmond and they'll get the tap straight out. It will go straight to a midfielder who will give it to someone else and they just walk it out of stoppages all the time. But they're not a very good clearance team. And I feel like it was pretty tightly contested for the whole game, obviously. But I didn't feel like Richmond had a heap of ascendancy out of the midfield. Oh, so I, I agree. That is a good <laughs> chat, that one. That was a great point. Great point, Langers. You shocked us. Um, the Tigers did actually win um, centre clearances 14 to 7, mm. but they lost stoppage clearances 31 to 23. So lines on the ground were um, getting the job done. It was just in the centre. Um, the, the Tigers managed to do all right. But maybe it was because the Brisbane players were tired after kicking all those goals every yeah, single probably. <laughs> And the last point, just uh, I'll throw to you here short, but direct ball movement out of the stoppage tiers. So I feel like um, the Lions had really efficient inside 50s and there was a couple of ca- occasions where um, the ball went inside 50 and Cameron, uh, a Richmond player, ended up getting it, but Cameron pressured and then obviously got at the end of that goal, I think in the first quarter. Oh, the second quarter, sorry. Um, Cameron got another goal in the third quarter and Bailey's goal in the third quarter too was amazing and they were just really efficient. You know, with that, that Rainer handball setup was really clean and efficient inside 50 and a lot of that seemed to come from their um, midfield stoppages or around the, uh, their 50 as well. Yeah, and I think there were definitely more in-depth tactics and mechanics than my eye can probably pick up. But from what I could see, I think it was probably just simply they did compete better both in the air and on, on the ground. I think uh, Hipwood in particular, he looked like he was just in the zone. And we know it's so important to compete against those Tigers up in the back six there because they do intercept so much. And they got to ground a lot if they didn't clunk it. And, and at the deck, they were equally um, impressive, like you boys have mentioned a couple of the guys already. 
And, you know, it wasn't for the whole game. They certainly had their moments where the Tigers had it on their terms and, and that's always going to happen against such a good side. But there was just, there was a definite improvement in the way they went about it. And I think that was one of the reasons that they were able to get a lot of sort of on the ground goals and also separate that defence. But um, what do you make of the blueprint, Tiz? Do you think you'll be getting a call from the Brisbane Lion coaching staff or an email from Fags? Oh, look, I hope so. Uh, probably not everyone has thought that blueprints and blueprints really popular. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. He's, so, he's gone uh, to war. Yeah, I'm yeah. the one with the internet troubles again and Tiz is the one that's rattled. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, not not everyone out there uh, believed in the blueprint or thought it was any good. Uh, although I put a couple of hours of research into it, and pretty, pretty much every point's been ticked off. But um, oh. minus minus the tag dusty bit. But um, that's all right. People can have their opinions, and that's fine. Oh boy. So, um, yeah. No, but I think any people in partic- particular tis or yeah. Have you had any not, feedback? Oh no, only for feedback that oh. you've passed on from other people. So, um, <laughs> That's all fine. We're, we're, we've all got uh, opinions. So, um, but but on that though, they were really good. They pressured them so well, which is like a big part and like a big tick that they had to sort of yeah get on the list, which they did. And they didn't. You know, the Richmond only took eight intercept marks, and you know that's one of my blueprint ticks in there as well, which they did really well in that front. And they were, you know, they got some really like long shots of goal, and they were accurate. Obviously, that was that was a big point as well. So. Yeah, they kept Grimes um, under wraps. They kept Dusty under wraps. Probably not um, super accountable, but in terms of like a hard tag, like you'd see Levi Brand would do um, or a Benny Jacobs of the past. But yeah, I'd like to think that, yeah, they, they did very well following the blueprint, um, even though not everyone agrees that it's any good. So Now, we've praised uh, Brisbane a lot, Chook. Um, where now do Richmond look to next week? They've got a couple of the cavalry coming. It's it's weird to think that Geelong, you know, potentially straight sets is it's such an option, and we'll talk about that later. But for Richmond, it looks a bit cherry, obviously, with all of St Kilda's outs. But how are Richmond looking going into this next game? Yeah, well, you raise a good point there um, when we were talking about the pressure. Is is starting out early on? There was those key moments. Was it Shy Bolton and a few other players where they were running out of the back defensive fifty, and they got absolutely. Owned by a Brisbane from behind, um, took them down. And from there, they were a bit antsy, I reckon, the Tigers players. They are a bit less cool and calm um, and they were just a bit more worried. So I think against the hard-pressuring Saints, they're going to be a bit, bit more focused on, you know, knowing your surroundings and, and having backup and team player. It's, it's, it's all well and good. Everyone says, oh, there's already so many Tigers to help back each other up all the time. But it's, uh, it's not really going to work when you get holding a ball against you. Your Tigers players not allowed to pick it up and then keep going. Um, that's what I think they probably need to focus on towards next week is, is just being in the zone, knowing their awareness and their surroundings. And obviously the biggest one is uh, keep you calm in terms of your headspace. Don't give away dirty threes. Don't be doing it. If you're getting a bit frustrated, don't vent it out by kicking someone in the chest. I think I saw Dion Prestia do that on the ground. I think they need to, yeah, just to try and, and keep their cool a bit um, and back themselves in. And, and hopefully it's more of a, a psychological essence that they can improve themselves. Short, what do you reckon on that? 
Yeah, I think you're right. I reckon when Big O brought down Bolton early in the game, big. that was pretty big. When the big man brings down a small guy, that sets the tone. But yeah, I think you know I'll be backing in the Tigers to to respond and certainly fix up a couple of those areas. But yeah, as you say, the Saints they're hungry and they're firing on a similar line. They'll they'll bring that pressure. So yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, I guess we could probably. Start talking about the Saints. Right well, it's, now, it's so, a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic segue there, Daniel. So thank you for uh, handballing that one to me. The Saints obviously got up by three points and left it right till the end to uh, keep their poor fans waiting. And a few heart attacks probably happened as well. But Hook, um, <laughs> I think you've been keeping a close eye on the Saints all year, and you're a, a secondary Saints man. So what were your thoughts on the game? I do love my Saints a bit. At the beginning of the game, I wanted to get split. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might shit bandwagons, to be honest. Um, no, um, it was the Geary and King show again, reminiscent to Blues game uh, earlier in the year where Geary played the defensive forward role um, on Doherty. He, he had a crack this time around on Daniel, but Daniel still managed to you know get a bunch of the ball, but in the end, Geary played the forward role, and like he did in that Carlton game, he, he snagged a couple of goals for himself, um, and he, he dished off a few others. I think he dished off the first goal of the game yep. as well. Oh, for the Saints. Sorry, first goal went to Brucey yep. Boy, didn't it? <laughs> we didn't think it was going to make much impact, and yeah. apart from that, we didn't really. <laughs> He's like, I'll pick my one goal for the game, boys. <laughs> See you later. Um, yeah. um, Dan Hanabry, obviously the oh. experienced, most experienced player for the Saints when it comes to finals, was, you know, his silky best. 20 touches. I still think he has another gear that he can reach, but he was amazing. Um, an interesting one is the Dogs actually won the inside 50s, 51 to 35. Mm. Oh, boy. I think, I think the big difference that where that comes to is the tolls. Dogs' back line was no match for the Saints' tolls. You had King kick two goals, Membry kicked two goals, and when Ryder went up forward, he kicked oh. two goals as well. It's saucy numbers. They were just no option there as the tall defenders. Well, you had Ryan Gardner, the ex-cat, was like the player <laughs> role. Interesting so, too, yeah. Chuck, that in the last quarter it, by itself, the inside 50 was four to the Saints, 17 to the Dogs. So yeah. they were holding on for ridiculous. dear life in the end. I don't think their forwards were doing... The right role as well, the uh, Dogs. Um, obviously, Bruce kicked that earlier one, but Norton really wasn't firing. The Saints were just getting intercepts galore. Carlisle played an important role as well. Yep. Um, but, you know, they're going to miss him later on. But So the Dogs did bite back, Langers, your favourite phrase, but more like a just nibble. not enough. Just not enough. They, they had their chances, and in the end, obviously, the, the Saints got away with it by three. Devastating end of the match for Paddy Ryder. Arguably best on ground. He had his two goals. Um, I think he led the hit outs and, and was really, you know, just a presence across the ground. The last, at the end, as we mentioned, doing his hamstring was really upsetting to see. Um, and, of course, the Dogs, as we mentioned, they tried to come back almost, but they played in two finals since the Premiership. They missed finals two years afterwards and these last two they've made and been eliminated in the first round. So they've really got some questions to ask of how they're going to push this team. They're a lot fought. What was the quote? This is just the beginning when they won their flag. Very quick on the game or on the dogs. Or yeah. Well, 
it was a fantastic game, and I thought at the stage it was going to probably be the game of the round. But um, obviously, we'll get to the the Collingwood game later on. But yeah, really happy for the Saints. And I, I talked about the Saints and their pressure, um, or you talked about the Saints and their pressure game, and how it would hold up in finals. And it seemed to, and the dogs seemed out on their feet at stages during the game. And yeah, the Saints just capitalised when it mattered. So um, the dogs were pretty disappointing. And I'm wondering, Tiz, if there's going to be some questions that comes now for Bevo, who as Chuck just mentioned, you know, won the flag out of nowhere, but since then he's been pretty disappointing in um, in finals. Coming from a Geelong supporter is funny. Yeah, well, they're 0-2 uh, since 16, and it just goes to show how hard finals are to win. And you imagine if the, the game time was 20 minutes and um, time on, do the yeah. dogs win? They, they potentially do, but obviously... I've mentioned Parkinson's law in the past, but I don't, I don't want to we, we, we won't, we won't get stuck into that. Oh, boy. We won't get stuck into that. But, yeah, I, I think with a few tweaks and definitely I uh, found out in the ruck and English has been found out a number of times this year, they've thrown him up forward for no real reason. And they they just they got absolutely smashed in the air. I think the Saints took about 24 contested marks or something. So it was just numbers that were out of this world. They just got absolutely cleaned up in the air and they their presence up forward just you know, isn't quite doing enough. So they need a good a good tour to go alongside memory. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of the Saints now. <laughs> Memory's all good. Well, if they um, already got to another ex saint <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, Norton and um, Norton needs some more help, really. That, that's the, that's what it comes down to. And they've tried so many tall forwards in the past. You know, they think of Welsh and Barry Hall and, and some other guys down there yeah. as well. But uh, they... Yeah, they've got good structures there, but they they just need to solidify, you know, that that uh, down back and up forward and in the ruck most importantly because they should be probably doing better in the midfield than they are yes, they uh, with how it's sort of going with English. He's just getting monstered a bit too often, and he'll be good in time, but he needs some extra help, so they should sort out their ruck stocks as well. I was listening to Bob and Andy short on the way home, and obviously, yeah, mate. Bob Murphy floated the idea of. You know, English needs help in the ruck and they need a, a second forward to help Norton. Um, what are your thoughts on Tom McDonald from Melbourne ending up at the Bulldogs to offer both of those roles? Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, I think all English probably needs is a little bit of help. Yeah, Just help, I've got, yeah. I've got a lot of time for him. I've heard people talking about, oh, they need to bring in, you know, yeah. someone else to do the number one ruck for a couple of sure. years until English is his best. It was only a month or so ago, early in the season, when he was going to be the next big thing. He's the next Dean Cox. You know, he's he'll be all right. He'll be he'll English be fine. Be okay, yeah. He's still only what twenty three or something, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he'll be young, fine. So. Let him do his thing. He'll develop. Like you boys have touched on, I think it's the key posts in the forward line and the back line that need to be addressed. And it was coming into the game that was probably the discussion. Would you be more fancied by the Doggies midfield or the tall players on St Kilda's list because that was where they were going to get their advantage and that's where they did. And I just think the Bulldogs, the idea of the Western Bulldogs is much sexier than what actually happens. Mm. Um, I think it's it's awfully exciting to think about what they could do and what they have done once. Um, but really, they haven't been able to produce that consistently. And every year coming into the finals, it's like, wow, that, if they catch fire, they could, they could <laughs> knock off a big giant team. You know, they could knock <laughs> yeah. them off. But they just haven't. So I think next year, there'll be a bit more pressure 
on yes, the doggies. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Chuck, obviously you mentioned before all the outs for St. Kilda. What are your thoughts on some of the ins? I think you mentioned Josh Battle before, but do you think there's a potential fairy tale return for Dylan Roberton? Oh, that hadn't even crossed my mind at all. <laughs> Chuck just works here, so I just thought he's—is he like fit and firing again? Yes. Is he? So I thought he was still a bit of iffy, kind of with his health and all that. No, but... I think he's just not made the team. So I think Shane Savage is in a similar sort of boat, also. Oh well. Um, so battle and um, long, obviously the the jury is currently deliberating now. So I'll let you guys know via Twitter if if long's free to play or not. But um, oh no, there it is. He he will miss. So they've upheld his suspension. So long, is, <laughs> long is officially out. has <laughs> lost the plot over yeah. here, boys. Uh, there's not much plot to lose. So um, yeah, should be interesting next week. But we'll get onto more of the uh, the previews later on with St Kilda. But um, there's one more game to get to, and it was unless anyone else has any more points about Saints or Bulldogs. The Saints are up against it, mate. Um, against the Tigers, but yeah, their their work around the midfield, their pressure was great. Just just their ability to, uh, I suppose, expose the dogs down back was a big part of their win, and they they sort of got enough scoreboard pressure on before the dogs really started. Um, yeah, coming right at them. So um, no credit to the Saints, first finals win in ten years, and they'll be stoked with that and. It's a, it's an automatic pass, and hopefully they yeah. um hopefully they can beat the Tigers next week. Absolutely, I had yeah. put the potential knock on King when I was doing the previews that you know he'd seemed a bit nervous in previous games, but he was hold he was clunking every ball that pretty much came his way all all around the ground, and I was really impressed by his performance. Um, and Jaron Geary had you know yes. one of the captain's performances. I mentioned it already, but that was an amazing performance. He met, he had a chance to to him close I think it was quarter time where he missed that shot just after the siren or just before the siren went but from there he he was a dominant force I reckon Geary and it's really impressive to see from someone who who people don't really rate and when he was named captain people went who yeah. but he is a good solid player and he you know he really shone in that final and showed what true leadership is just quickly as well it's funny that you mentioned Geary did such a good job on Caleb Daniel, but Daniel was actually the highest ranked super coach player of anyone in the first round of finals with 154 super coach. So make what you want of that. But I think a lot of those points would have been made up late in the last quarter when he had 10 possessions and obviously that, that goal. So interesting, but I think Geary obviously takes the chocolates there. So speaking of chocolates, oh my word, there was some sweet things happening in the West Coast Collingwood game. And I watched the whole thing and I have had the pleasure of putting some dot points down for this podcast about this game. And what a game it was, fellas. Firstly, it was probably one of the best games we've seen of the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, and I'm glad I didn't get to see it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, if you haven't watched it, Tizzy, definitely need to watch at least the last quarter because it was insane. But obviously, Mason Cox, the uh, finals champion of Collingwood, uh, came up big again in the first quarter and pretty much relived his game against Richmond of a couple of years ago. and just started dominating in the air and just seemed like you put it up for him and he would mark it. And Shorty, you've mentioned before that he's such a good set shot at goal and he pretty much guaranteed to kick a goal from anywhere inside third. He's got such a good set shot routine. And uh, there was some uh, signs early that Collingwood were dominating with Shuey and Kelly only having one touch in the first quarter and Sheed having zero touches in the first quarter. 
Um, so there was some uh, conjecture about them bringing some underdone players back in. I think that might have cost them at stages. Um, Kelly obviously was held only to 12 touches with eight tackles, though, by Greenwood, who played fantastically. And um, interesting, we'll, we might touch on it a little bit, that West Coast sold the farm to get Kelly in and he didn't really come up in a big final. And just wondering what your boys' thoughts on Kelly were, considering that we have uh, all their draft picks now and Kelly's just uh, not really helped them win a final. I think Kelly's always probably struggled with the tag. I mean, yep. that's something we, we saw at Geelong. I don't think there's any doubt over his ability to play well in finals. He was yep. outstanding. Probably Against our the best Eagles. finals player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not as though he's a guy who struggles to get up in the bigger moments. But, yeah, we know that he doesn't handle a hard tag well. We saw it a couple of times at Geelong. And, yeah, I didn't see the game either. But, obviously, Greenwood does that as well as anyone when that is his sole purpose. He really locks down. And, and Kelly obviously found it real tough. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because... Sorry, Tiz. I was just going to say, I don't think... Kelly didn't come to the Eagles to be their big number one midfielder. He came there to be that extra, you know, that extra depth. Yes, he's an awesome super player, but people acting like, oh, geez, this big Tim Kelly's big failure. He's, well, what a ruined trade already. He's 26 <laughs> years old. He's still got several years in his career to go, and he's probably only going to get better and stay at that, <laughs> that level. It's exactly the right decision that the Eagles fought, an extra midfielder to go along with Gaff and Shuey and all these guys. Um, it, it didn't play out the way that they would have hoped to, um, this weekend, but, you know, they'll, they'll come back up next year and, and I reckon he's, he's still going to be a major player for them for, for several years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And an, another major player for the Pies was Brody Majacek, who it's been well documented that he wasn't even playing AFL or you know, he's in the VFL in 2017 and the Pies picked him up and he's been fantastic ever since. And he had an amazing last quarter with two goals and took a couple of nice contested grabs. And it's probably one of the best goals I've seen that pick up where um, Josh Thomas got tackled and just gave it to him. And he off one step, it felt like just kicked it on the left and it was like a laser straight through in the last quarter. And that got me up and about for sure. And Adam's smother on Tom Cole in, in that last play when, when McGovern got that ball and kicked it to a loose Duggan going forward. I was like, oh, no, not again. And I, I feel bad for the Collingwood fans who had to witness that. And I thought you know, Liam Ryan was going to block Braden Maynard again and it was all going to happen again. So um, fantastic smother from Adams, who was fantastic and has been fantastic all year. So um, an amazing game, Tiz. I, I need you to watch this game and... Let me know when you do because it was amazing. It was probably one of the best games for a long time. But what were your guys' thoughts on those closing minutes of this game? It was very good. From a man who didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seeing, seeing little little snippets and um, analysis of it. Back, back into Tim Kelly, though. Um, he obviously got really well held. And I think Green was going to do that to any player he comes up against. So he's he's been like yeah, one of the best uh, when he's played just a sole tag, he's been incredibly tough to stop. We've seen what he's done to Selwood and Dangerfield in the past. He's basically um, ripped him to pieces mentally. So I think uh, we'll discuss Greenwood a bit later. But um, look, yeah, how tough are the pies? Like 
they had no, they had no right to win this final. And again, they, I think when they they have recently defeated the Eagles by a point at Optus as well, so they've done it again, which is quite incredible. But again, they just took their chances. They they took the big moments and twelve goals for the first time. They kicked twelve goals since uh, earlier this year against the Saints. I think was the yes. last time they did that. So they they're finally starting to take the game on and. I've seen a number of highlights where they just, you know, they give and go. They take the mark. They give it off to the guy running. So they're, they're full of confidence. And you saw Dugowie take take some, um, kick some really good goals and at really um, critical times. So especially when it's a one point game, um, every moment counts. And yeah, the the Pies did all the right things. And the Eagles really missed Elliot Yo. I mean, he's he's obviously yeah, probably arguably their best midfielder at times. And yes. for when you don't have a Yo to complement a Kelly who's getting tagged and she doesn't yep. come with you and Chewy doesn't come with you, uh, it, it makes it very tough from a midfield um, standpoint, which is where the game's won and lost. So Yo probably makes a difference or a massive difference because we know what he can do. And um, yeah, up forward, as you mentioned, Langs, with Meyer, Check and Cox, uh, yep. they were... There was a, the tall boys doing the job, so uh, absolutely they, they made their mark there, and yeah, a massive win to the Pies and a great smother late, which basically sealed slash won the game for the Pies for Adam. Absolutely. So he's been uh, incredible all year. So well done, Pies. That's a great analytical analysis, Tyson. <laughs> From someone that hasn't seen a second, yeah, <laughs> just just a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up Greenwood because. Before the finals week actually started, there was a lot of media pundits and that saying we were talking about as well. We brought it up, Varko and Greenwood, whether they would drop them both to bring in the younger um, talent and, you know, give them a bit more movement. Um, obviously, Varko did get dropped in the end, but Greenwood, they made the decision to hold on to him and, and it worked out a, a bloody charm, you know. He absolutely shut down Kelly. If, if they had gone along with some of the, the pundits and, and dropped him, you might have seen Kelly getting 35 and two goals. So I guess it goes to show, you know, sometimes backing the coaches rather than random people in the media. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really count us as members of the media, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure you can so short. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, now, Tiz, I see you've got a couple notes here just about who is actually missed out in finals in straight sets since 2000. Right. You want to just smash through that quickly? I really will. So I did a bit of research on this. Um, So the final system changed in 2000. It was really cooked before then. You could like lose (laughs) the first final and still somehow play. But anyway, so since 2000, and I didn't think it was this many, but eight sides have missed, uh, I suppose, going into a prelim, finishing in the top four, going out in straight sets. I'll go through those now in alpha numeric order. <laughs> we had uh, Port Adelaide in 2001 and 2003. They were obviously uh, a bit, they choked a bit back then, as you can see, because they were top of the table yeah. for so many years and finally got the monkey off the back in 2004. West Coast in 2007, they had no Judd, Cousins, Kerr. I think they just had no one um, against the Pies, which went into extra time. Geelong in 2014, went down to North Melbourne. North. Um, week after Hawthorne, Frio went down to Sydney, and then Port Adelaide when Ollie Wines played an amazing final. Mm. Um, Hawthorne in 2016, they went down to the Cats um, a couple of points, and then the Dogs uh, changing the baton there. The Hawks again in 2018. I know they lost to the D's the second week in a row, the first week in a row. I'm trying they, the Richmond. Tigers, yeah, they they uh, Dusty kicked one of the best goals of the Goal finals ever. ever. 
Brisbane in 2019, they obviously went out, went out in straight. Um, they lost to the Tigers, then went down the Giants in a very close game, and they are uh, licking their lips this year. So it happens more than we think. So uh, that, that's a really good point. While we uh, bring up, I suppose the game's coming up. So yeah. So obviously Richmond and Geelong are susceptible to going out in straight sets this year and we'll touch on this quickly before my internet provider cancels my subscription and I go and go and murder <laughs> someone. But um yeah, so Richmond versus St Kilda, that's probably likely to be a Richmond win, but what are your thoughts on that? All right. So they're Metricon and this is uh, an interesting point of view. Picking Metricon, the grand final is gonna be at the Gabba. We know logistically the Tigers don't live far from Metricon. So yeah, it's it's interesting why they've Pick there. I suppose they don't have to worry about too much travel and Damien Harwick getting to the game on time and um, getting to the uh, national anthem. But so he, oh. I don't think he'd be late this week. But uh, let's see what Dimmer reckons. He might whinge or make up some other excuse. But the Saints, obviously, they've got a few injuries to contend with, guys. We mentioned this straight off the top. Um, Ryder, Carlisle, and Long, who may, he, I believe you guys just said he was going to miss a week. So um, how. Out. Yeah, how will they go with those and are the Saints any chance? Take it away. I think it's going to be pretty difficult. I think there's some absolutely crucial ones there. So if battle comes back, which sounds half a chance, then that's going to be really, really big for them. I think he's a bit of an underrated player. But, Mm. yeah, I mean, they need absolutely everything going for them to beat the Tigers. And and the ruck would have been something they'd take a great advantage from. And they still will. Because Marshall is a great player and loves to ruck solo, but to have Ryder's tap ability would have been great. So, yeah, I mean, Tigers definitely would have been heavily backed regardless of that, and it'll take something really, really special if the Saints are to cause a boil over. I think Marshall, as we did touch on earlier in, in the beginning of the podcast, yeah, can do that ruck duty by himself if needed and, and, and help with the team. And I think St Kilda have the pressure that we were talking about as well previously that they can handle this. Um, and we, we've seen them step up and they can do it. And and we know at both ends that they've got some talent in that forward line. So, you know, maybe that Richmond defense is going to be up against a bit of a task with, with Membry and, and King and, and Marshall sometimes popping down there to take a few grabs. It could be a, a really good contest. And I'm excited to see um, what the Saints can do. We know what happens when you try and write someone off. <laughs> Magpies. Really give him a chance. I'm very much one who thinks about the storylines as well. And I think the Dan Butler storyline against his old team looms large. You can see the headline, (laughs) Dan Butler kicks four against team that didn't want him. You know, something like that. (laughs) I just think he's been fantastic. And we're talking in our little message group that, um, you know, Butler almost single-handedly has transformed St Kilda from being a team that's pushing for finals to a team that's now just won a final. So I think mm-hmm. he could potentially be the difference, but obviously Saints have had a couple of uh, players out. But like you said, short battles back, who's a decent player. And I'd, it's going to be really hard to see Richmond losing two in a row because we know how good they are. And they certainly are one of the teams that could go the long way around like Hawthorne did a couple a few years ago now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still pretty up in the air for me this game. The Saints obviously got the job, uh, the job done. <laughs> they got the jab. Oh boy, <laughs> this is getting crazy. That was Uh Yeah, got the wrong team. Sorry, mate. Uh, 
the Saints obviously got the job done against the Tigers earlier in the year. Will they take any confidence out of that and will that have any bearing on this game? I I would say no, I don't think so. That was really... I reckon they probably will take a little bit of confidence. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of changes in these team lineups, though. I don't think the Saints will be looking back too much on that game and going, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how similar the teams would be compared and to... And Richmond weren't that great then, too. Yeah, Richmond were in really poor form at the beginning of the year. You know, we were kind of, you know, almost saying that they're a bit on edge back then before they kicked back into gear. I think it's going to be a very different matchup and a very different challenge, but I still think St Kilda have a have a hot chance there. Absolutely, and it should be an absolute ripper game. Two pressure teams going at it should be fast and furious nine, fast two furious or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> this is the big game that will be. Uh, paying the most attention to Geelong versus Collingwood and talk about pressure short against against the Bulldogs. Sorry, boys. Good boys, I, I need oh. to know who you think is going to win. Sorry, I, I know just I know your internet's about to yes, cut yes, out, but yes, just, yes. no, absolutely. Richmond St Kilda or Geelong? No, no, Richmond St Kilda. Personally, I I will be tipping the Saints to win in an upset because I only Whoa. got rights last week and I might as well just continue my form. But I, I genuinely think the Saints can win. But it would wow. just be out of the box, Shorty. Yeah, I think Richmond pretty comfortably. I I know St Kilda the fairy tale, and I I'll be barracking with all my heart for the Saints. But I think the Tigers by around five goals. I will be tipping Richmond as well, uh, reasonably comfortably. They will be absolutely infuriated by their poor performance against the Brisbane Lions. And I see them bouncing back and they're a quality side that is a known September specialist in October. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'll back the Tigers still. I think St Kilda will have a red hot crack, but I just think Tigers are a good team and they'll try and bounce back. I haven't actually did my, didn't do my tips last week. Um, on the app. <laughs> I don't know where we're at from doing it, so <laughs> not bad. <laughs> no faith, Chuck. Yeah, sorry for jumping the gun there, boys, but let's move into the uh, Geelong Collingwood game. I've Speaking That's of guns, my, internet is, yep. my internet's holding a gun to my head. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into our thoughts about Geelong Collingwood and talking about pressure short, the uh, Cats have certainly got some pressure up then. Oh, yeah. Huge amount of pressure. It's always natural, I feel, to feel as if that this, the team that wins that first week and then plays a side that loses that first week but has a double chance, you always get the sense that the straight sets could happen. And like Ty said, it does happen, but it is a bit of a rarity. Oh, look, I think there's a huge amount of pressure on Geelong, isn't there, for a historical point of view. And Collingwood have a good record against the Cats and they're in form. So, yeah, I'll be really interested to hear what you guys reckon, particularly when we come to the tip. But, um, yeah, I, I pretty much from a supporter just enter with a bit of optimism, a bit of hope, but... Yeah, it'll be a nervous night, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, I've got some thoughts off the top, uh, gents. So the Pies are on track to win three in a row. In the last six games, Geelong won the last three before that, and the Pies won the last three before that. So hmm. uh, I don't know if it's an omen for the Pies to win another three in a row, but <laughs> it's going to be nervous. Uh, the, the small forwards have been a concern, and when the ball hits the ground in defence for the Cats, it's incredibly nervous times, especially it goes up times 100 in a final. We've got Degoe, Stevenson, and 
uh, Elliot and all these other guys that can, you know, kick a kick a sausage roll. Josh Thomas as well has been a bit of a trouble in the past, getting a few goals. Oscar Elliott. Oscar Elliott gets out, you know, gets out the back a bit. So I wonder how how do you guys think that'll go? The cats are very tall. I'm I'm a bit concerned. Yeah, it's well. I'm gonna have recurring nightmares about Stephen Motlop running past Harry Taylor, like I mentioned before. <laughs> but um, imagine Taylor, you know, trying to pick up a loose ball inside fifty, and Degoy or Stevenson's just like bearing down on him like a wolf bearing down on a deer cub or something. It's it's going to be a, a nightmare. Tis and look, I I don't want to write Taylor off, but I did float the idea during the week of potentially bringing Sav in for Taylor and moving Blitz down back. So I don't know what your thoughts are there, but certainly those small forwards have tended to hurt us for a while. But I think if we... I don't think Dugowie would kick five again. I think we'd get much more of a handle on them, hopefully, this week. But, yeah, it's literally destiny in the last 10 years of our destinies in our hands this weekend. Taylor out. That's interesting. Um, Charlie Dixon took zero marks uh, for the first time in 101 games. He dropped a few yeah, chesties. He dropped but- three. <laughs> yeah, and Hawkins kicked five points, but everyone's yep. saying what a great game uh, McKenzie, McKenzie had, played. So, yeah, you know, six scoring uh, shots. Hawk kicked straight. You know, it's a different story. I don't think they'll get rid of Taylor. They yep. they love him very much down in Catland, and I don't want to see him in the final, mate. So uh, yes. <laughs> no, we were having a, a heated discussion during the week Ooh, about potentially bringing Sav in and the issues with Taylor and. Unfortunately, that's just the way myself and Chuck saw it. Was that he was just a little bit too slow, and that might have just been emphasized by Motlop oh, running past oh, him. Maybe I put me in the same line. I whoa, thought whoa, Harry whoa. did. I thought he had a bad game, but I wouldn't be ticking him out. The team is still one of the most reliable. I think and, the and quote from you was Harry Taylor played the worst game he's ever played. That's I what think I remember. Oh, <laughs> this is the I, worst game you've ever seen him play. I, I <laughs> say that, but in no way would I be not having him in the team. <laughs> I still think he is one of the best defenders and most reliable yeah. players for the Cats. Yep. Um, I think it's going to be another case of maybe back the coaches in rather than uh, people on podcasts and in the media. At all. In no chance would I be bringing Sav back into this side. Yep. Um, I think Taylor plays pretty well on Cox right. as well, Chook. Yeah. And to mm. take out Harry Taylor and then force Blitz to have to play backline would be bad because well look blitz probably was still one of our better players for that game against port in terms of his ruck work was really well and he was all right around the ground i wouldn't want to lose that versatility that we have and kind of force him into a backline position i wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple of changes for the cats so i'm not exactly sure who it could be but it, it just wouldn't surprise me if they did i I'd be throwing Narkle in there, to be honest. I know that'd be a left field option, but he's been tearing it up and I just think he's the sort of guy we need and it would be a fairly big risk, but... Clark. Yeah. We need need Clark and a bit of run from the back line and someone else could maybe... What's that, mate? Narkle. He played well in the scratchy. um, Yes, (laughs) if you've been listening, mate, I I just said that, Langus. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I I meant... um, (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. not Knuckle Simpson kicked two as well oh, in the Simpson. scratch match. Sorry, right. yes, I, yes, I, I did hear you say Knuckle <laughs> Simpson kicked no, two right. in the scratch you're match, right. and um, he was playing well in the team, and obviously got yeah. injured. But um, and I think, it, I mean, it's always natural to kind of yearn for a couple of changes after a loss, and there might be a couple, but I think it's more probably about a point of some guys just getting it done, um, some guys that have got it done. 
throughout the year, just stepping up. You know, Rowan is the first one that comes to mind. Guthrie being better, Menegola being better. Not to say they were bad, but just be better. Play a match-winning game rather than just a game that was almost. So that's I think they'll be drawing upon some of those guys to really play an outstanding game. Here's just a quick one, guys. With um, Greenwood, do you reckon they chuck Greenwood on on a Guffrey or, or someone in the middle there? I don't, unless they're going for Dangerfield midfield all game. What do you think about tag wise? Do you think Greenwood goes to someone from the get go? Well, I think he will probably yeah look for Dangerfield and Geelong might just go. All right, we'll play him up forward if you're going to do that, but. He'll definitely yeah, look for a Selwood or, or a Dangerfield because you know we know um, Selwood's the heart and soul leader, and so do the Pies. So if they can uh, stamp him out or one of those two guys out, that'll go a long way for them winning. So yeah, look, that it's pretty much guaranteed they'll go a hard tag on someone, and um, Geelong will have to be smarter about it. I don't know if they move Selwood forward if that happens. Can we get a bit of Baker smacking? Sell it in the hand. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Now, what this looms to be, like I mentioned it before, but about the pressure on Geelong. Can Collingwood win? What are our thoughts? And what does it mean for Geelong if they lose? I think it's a question um, can Geelong win? Um, oh, jeepers. <laughs> at the moment. Um, so I hope they haven't given away a tip there. But I think it comes down to the last few times, and that they've been able to outwork us and outpressure us a number of times in recent games. And they've sort of yeah, stifled our midfield and, and our ball movement so many times at the, at the G they've stopped us in that um, vein. And neither side scored over 72 points since 2017. So it's been, they don't score much and they play dirty, tough, almost boring games of football sometimes. I think it'll be hopefully yeah, a little bit more uh, action and a bit more exciting for sure. But I think it's going to come down to what's the maturity of Geelong. I think the Pies will come in full of confidence. They've beaten us the last few times. They'll have confidence there. Richmond obviously would have had confidence coming to beat um, the Lions as well. But, uh, you know, that, that didn't amount to much. It's going to be the best team on the night. Uh, if And I feel like if Green was going to tag one of our best players, like a, a Dangerfield or a Selwood, Geelong generally don't go well. And especially you've got no Tim Kelly, Menegola and Guthrie are going to have to play, I think, super amazing games for Geelong to be even half a chance. And they blanket our forward line, really well, a lot of teams' forward lines really well. And how's Hawke going to cope with that? And then you go, how's Myers and Ablett and Rowan? These guys going to be able to shine when the Pies are a very stingy side. Mm. Yeah, it'll be tough. I mean, I think, it's you can probably copy and paste what I probably said last week. The, the the same demons are there for the cats, and they come up against a side that's confident. So there's really no difference to the narrative for me. It's just they've just got to deliver in a big final, and if they don't, there'll be the same questions asked even louder. So um, it's it's going to be a difficult game. It's what finals are. That's why you've got to step up, but. I'll just be going in with a little bit of hope and, and, and see how we go. But equally, when we knocked off Sydney and West Coast in that yep. second week of finals, we probably had similar doubts. So, you know, it, it could it can definitely be done. And both sides are well within their rights to feel confident. I think you're going to see the opening bounce of every quarter. If no one's injured or dead, you're going to have Selwood, Dangerfield and and a Guffrey or someone, they're going to be starting with those two danger and Selwood because, you know, Selwood, 
even if his hand had been amputated, he's going to go as high <laughs> as he got um, and he's going to be get winning that ball straight out to danger every, and it's going to be every quarter because I think the Cats know that they can't let it slip at all. You yep. think of the clear lead they had against the Tigers in the prelim last year, yep. and then they got absolutely embarrassed. The Cats are a mature team, a lot of experienced players, a lot of desperate players. Mm. Ablett's last year, Harry Taylor's last year, Danger's mm. never made a grand final. Selwood's mm. on his potential last legs. These yep. guys are going to be going hard as nails. And I think the Duncans and the Gufferies and all these guys know exactly how important this is for these guys. Maybe they don't do well in milestones like 300s and stuff, <laughs> but I think when it comes to something as big as this, they're going to be going as hard as they can to, to put, a, put some bloody pain on the highs and get a win. I Absolutely. think you would, so just a quick one, as you were talking about that back line, how they handle the forward line, I think they've been playing a bit loose with that back line a bit, the Cats, in terms of who's doing what and, you know, just kind of having the players there, the team defence. Yep. I think you're going to be going, hey, Buse, you are literally locking down on this guy and you're not going to let him out of your sight, whether yep. that be a degree or one of those guys. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. going to maybe get Tui, you know, down back doing a similar role, O'Connor, all that. I think they're going to be locking down on their players a bit harder than the, the loose sort of play that they are used to. And you're right, Chuck. Hopefully, this being potentially Gary Ablett's last game puts an absolute rocket up him. And, you know, players like Rowan and Ablett himself and Myers, you know, pull something out of nowhere and just fight for that desperation because there's literally no second chances. And as for Collingwood, they played a fantastic game last week, obviously. And hopefully for them, it's not their grand final and they didn't spend all their tickets winning that game. But uh, as for me, in regards to tipping, I will be tipping Geelong because I think we're pretty good in the second week, especially after a loss. So that's pretty much the only basis I'm going off. But it's with no confidence at all. What are your guys' thoughts on tips? Yeah, I'm going to go Geelong as well. And that's not with a great deal of confidence, but probably just yeah, following a similar line of thought in regards to that we have been able to do it in previous years, you know, we seem to follow that pattern a little bit and, you know, it's, it's not a great pattern, but we have been able to turn it back around. But if you're one for Omens, you know, Gazza did play his previous last game for the Cats against the Pies in a big final. (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't follow Sid there. Um, Obviously I was on the Pies bandwagon before. Um, (laughs) He's back. (laughs) Just in case you didn't get that one through, but, yeah, I think, yeah, the Pies probably have the game plan, the game style and the weapons to probably stop us. We, I, I feel like I can have more confidence in their weapons firing and just getting the job done as opposed to a Geelong who have flaky and flimsy at best. But equally, you, you expect the Cats to jump out and they, and they could win by, you know, five goals. But mm. you, you just don't know. And I, I feel like I've got just a touch more faith in the Pies and what they can do. And, you know, they've, they're riding a wave of emotion right now and that they, you know, it was an impossible task to beat the Eagles and they've done that. So they'll have absolutely no fears at all. And that they have caused us, outside of um, probably 2009 and 2011, they've caused us a lot of dramas in home and away and finals. And, mm. They're, they are building and looking very dangerous. And they've got, yeah, as I said, some severe utensils that can really uh, eat <laughs> us up for dinner. Take. So, yeah, uh, I'm, ner- I'm very nervous, but I, I'm, I'll, it's weird. I also expect us to come out and win. But <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm more bullish about the Pies, though, to win. Yep. So, so you tip the pie. Oh, um, re- 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 yeah, reiterating my earlier statement, <laughs> I'm probably going 
go for the Cats, I reckon. Um, there's just so much on the line and, and the tough heads are going to be going as hard as they can to win it. Interesting little uh, fact, little tidbit here. Um, if the Cats get up and the Saints get up, it'll be an exact um, rematch of the 2004 preliminary finals. So the yeah. 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 we'll be looking at as a good omen to try and... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I reckon Port and Brisbane would have finished pretty similar on the ladder and probably represents the fact that, yeah, it might end up being like that once more. So uh, hopefully we can make it through the prelim and further on. <laughs> Absolutely. So great work there, guys. Hopefully next week we'll be in a bit of a better mood. Tizio 100, I know you're uh, very disappointed in your reviews on your YouTube channel, but I love listening into them and I love the passion that we bring every week to this podcast as well. So thank you again, boys, for joining me this week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. As always. Um, If anyone is listening, anyone, anywhere, just make sure you comment (laughs) on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, Let us know. uh, Yep about how your team's going to go this week if your team dropped out let us know how you feel or if you have any other comments feel free to uh what do you think about blueprints and stuff like or that blueprints oh, yeah, even yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks boys you'll well. everyone will hear from us next week have a good one thanks for listening to this episode make sure you follow us on the socials so you don't miss any content afl unlimited because footy is limitless